You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, the 602 Club. I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing. And with me, as she is every single week, is the one, the only, recently spider-bitten, Christy Morris. Hello. Yeah, I learned how to climb up walls. Um, You know, I've got super strength now. Bent a goalpost. Don't know how that happened. But, you know, we're working with it. What about you? Uh, you know what? Doing well. Uh, a little sad that um, I haven't been bitten by anything but a radioactive iguana, and all I've got is a tail to show for it. So uh, that's embarrassing. And it did fall off that one time. That was pretty gross. It was super gross. So, <laughs> well, we are excited because uh, we're going to dive into something. You know, uh, we are still kind of waiting for. I think the the big like main section of like Hollywood films to kind of drop on us as it is about to here coming up in July. Um, actually by the end of June, I think F nine is coming out and then everything yes. in the world is going to come out that didn't come out last year for the most part. Um, and so we're going to enjoy taking our time uh, looking at some things, um, that we have never looked at uh, here on the 602 club. I'm so excited to dive into the amazing Spider-Man series, which was the precursor to what we have now, which is, uh, what Marvel has done. Uh, and so, I'm really excited, Christy, you actually mentioned this, like, we were talking about it, and you're like, do you like those movies? And I was like, yes. And then I was like, well, we should cover them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So exciting, because, I mean, it, uh that one scene from the second one is one of my favorite scenes in film, period, so. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to get there, mainly, too, because I have not seen either of these movies in a while, and so it's really fun to always you know, just go back to films in the first place. So uh, before we get there, of course, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you are, are an Apple podcast, hey, give us a star rating review. Help people find the show. It's still the main way that people get their podcasts, honestly, is from Apple products, and, and so if you leave a review there. What's great is that that helps other people then be able to find our show. We rise in the rankings and all that. So again, um, if you listen to the show and you've never given us a review there, please do that. We'll read that out in the show. Uh, you can also find us on places like Twitter. Please follow the 602 Club. It's so much fun. We enjoy getting a chance to uh, meet people through that and have conversations through that. We love sharing movie news and what's going on here in the show. So you can check that out. Of course, we're on Instagram as well, which is kind of a fun place to follow us. We just have a good time over there at the 602 Club TFM. Uh, you can also find us online at trek.fm where you can find all of the shows we do. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And there's the listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference. You can join and talk to listeners from all over the world about what we're doing here on the network. And last but not least, we have some great associate producers here. And they support us through Patreon. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Nate Noah really appreciate them supporting the network and the show. They make sure that not only the 602 Club keeps coming to, but everything on the network. So if you like what we do uh, and you like the fact that we don't have ads every week, go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of the team. Honestly, every little bit helps, but we've got some great contribution levels you can give at as well. So again, that's patreon.com dot com slash track fm so chrissy um this is really interesting and and it's very strange because and i kind of titled this section like leave weaving a new web because they had had a very successful spider-man franchise before well for the most part the first two were very successful the third kind of like panned you know and uh, they mm-hmm. had been planning on doing spider-man 4 and uh, with Sammy Raimi's Spider-Man series, and they decided not to. Uh, in fact, they realized that they didn't really have what they wanted story-wise, uh, and Raimi just didn't feel like he was going to be able to bring it in the same way he, I guess he felt like he did in the first three. 
So uh, first, I just wanted to ask you before we kind of dive into the film, this was a really interesting thing because, again, that had been a very established franchise. And then all of a sudden they announced, oh, we're not doing a Spider-Man 4 and we're going to reboot the series. So I'm kind of wondering, first, what did you think of the Spider-Man series we had from Sam Raimi? And then, two, I'm just kind of wondering, how did you feel when you heard this announcement? Well, I'll start for sure with the original series from Sam Raimi. I remember initially when Spider-Man came out um, and it having Tobey Maguire, he was really kind of unknown to me until then. And um, it was an iconic movie. And I think everybody was joking forever about the upside down kiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, the whole thing with uh, Toby starting out as a, scrawny guy and then suddenly when he gets his bite he turns into Mr. Muscle Man Um, but I think overall the first film I really enjoyed and then from there I felt like it just kind of went off the tracks and the main reason is that I think that Sam Raimi's writing of that got too dark and not that Spider-Man in the comics didn't deal with dark things. I mean, it, it's known for some of the most difficult situations that could happen to a person. Um, but I think that they get back to its roots by doing the reboot, talking about a boy becoming a man, rather than just focusing on all of the terrible things. It, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I can understand what you're saying. It is, it's really interesting because for me, honestly, I did not really enjoy the first Spider-Man that he did. Um, And part of that is that I didn't like the costuming and the production design really, especially didn't like the fact that Green Goblin looks like a Power Rangers villain. Um, And Mm -hmm. so didn't really enjoy that. Spider-Man 2, though, um, I have to say I loved um, and and I thought is still I, I my wife and I rewatched it a couple years back and I remember really holding up like feeling like this is still a very good Spider-Man film uh, and just a comic book film in general. I think he had kind of found the right uh, balance between kind of seriousness and fun really well there, uh, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I mean, three is just a train wreck. Um, there are too many yeah. villains. It's too goofy. Uh, it it just doesn't come together. I mean, emo Spider Man. Just uh, it's it's definitely worth and deserves all of the kind of like a vitriol I think it gets. Honestly, it's just it's pretty terrible. But then for the mm-hmm. fact that they decided that they were going to reboot this, I was like. It seemed too soon, you know, like this wasn't like we had Superman in uh, 78 and then we didn't have really a new Superman playing Superman until Brown and Ralph, you know, in the 2000s. Like, I think it's 2003 mm-hmm. when, you know, he comes in and does Superman Returns. Um, And I don't know. it. I don't, and I guess it kind of works. You can see for the Batman series, right? Because you know you have all the Batman movies that we're going through right now with John Mills, and then you know once Batman and Robin comes out a few years later, you get the whole Dark Knight trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. So I, coming into this is the the idea that they're going to weave a whole new web. They're going to tell us a whole new type of story. Um, you know, I'm like thinking to myself, like, how different is this going to really be? And I think, you know, one of the most interesting things about this is that there's a whole web of mystery and that this Spider-Man movie at the core of it kind of has this interesting story going along that has so much more to do with like Peter's parents and him kind of being caught in something that he doesn't understand and is trying to figure out. And so uh, first, I just wanted to ask you, that adds a lot here. And uh, personally, not read any Spider-Man comics, so I don't know anything about the comics. But to me, obviously, that's a very different type of story than what we got in, you know, the Raimi Spider-Man. So how did you feel about that idea of them, like, adding this whole mysterious... In fact, the 
the beginning of the film is all about that, which is this mystery of what's going on with his dad, his dad having to leave with his mom and then them never, you know, apparently they quote unquote died. We don't know if that's the case, but we they mm-hmm. a- apparently died in like a, a plane crash years ago. So, yeah. And it, from what I know, that is consistent with the comics, actually. Um, but overall, I think that it's a more interesting thing to add to this movie than just the way that they did the Tobey Maguire movie where it starts with, you know, he's on a tour and ends up getting bitten by the spider and then it, you know, goes into the rest of his Mm -hmm. romance in high school and whatever. Um, I like that they add this element to getting to know Peter more and it's not so much focus on let's jump into the rest of the story as quick as we can. Um, And I think that they, they really focus a lot more on how he's dealing with being in high school and getting bullied and, um, but also with this loss um, and then having to try and form these relationships with his aunt and uncle, sort of like their parents now, even though he wants his own parents back. He kind of, it's like he kind of blames them for not having his parents around. I think, you know, what this does is that it adds a layer of complexity for the story for the character of Peter, like you're saying, mm-hmm. in the sense that Peter's experience with his parents leaving is traumatic. You know, I mean, he's playing hide and seek with his dad and somebody has broken into his dad's office. His dad obviously is, a, we and we learn later, is a scientist who's been working with Kurt Connors at OzCorp. They've been working on this idea of like cross-species genetics. His dad had helped create the spiders that end up biting him in the first place um, when he visits OzCorp. And then his dad and his mom go on the run for a reason we don't know. Um, but we can kind of gather is that people are after them for the research and mm-hmm. they're dead, you know, as as far as Peter knows, because that's what the news has reported. We see that. And he's left living with, you know, his uncle Ben and Aunt May. And so I think what it helps do is kind of add a nice layer, this mystery specifically for Peter, which is there is there are all these unanswered questions, you know, um, that what happened right. to my parents? What, you know, what specifically happened to my father? Why did he leave? Um, and it also, I think, helps in this story that it, it connects him with the Kurt Connors character who is missing something in his life. He's dealing with a loss. And him and Peter together both kind of are trying to, in some ways, fix what they've lost through each other, right? Um, yeah. In some ways, I think, that, you know, uh, because Kurt Connors is a character that Peter's dad worked with um, and has that connection, they both have this incredible smarts uh, scientifically and everything. Um, these minds, him and Peter, um, they they kind of connect in that way. So in some ways, it's almost like, this father type replacement uh, for Peter. And then of course, you know, for Kirk Connors, it's literally, he's trying to find a way to replace the arm that he lost. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think by creating this web of mystery, it adds a really nice layer of complexity and nuance to the storytelling so that, you know, I guess some people could complain that it's all too connected in this story, you know, like, Oh, the, the spider that bites Peter is dad's responsible for creating, you know, but I, for me personally, I actually really enjoyed how this all connects and, and it makes the villain more personal. Um, and it makes the storyline for Peter, I think more personal as well, because you can understand his feelings of like loss and abandonment and frustration and hurt and, in a way that goes beyond just the basic storyline we kind of got in the first movie with uh, Sam Raimi where, you know, Uncle Ben dies, 
you know, and he feels responsible mm-hmm. for that. There's so much more in this movie that's being built here from the very beginning. And I think that's, to me, really smart. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think that having it connect more to explain the reason for the spider in the first place is a nice thing to have, because otherwise you, you do end up with a lot of questions. And I love the focus on everything that not only someone's going through, like I said, going through high school and stuff, all of the normal peer pressures and the things, but he's also dealing with that weight of not only losing Ben, but like you said, having lost his dad, then losing Ben, and then his girlfriend's father, and the whole time he blames himself. Like, that's the thing that I feel like even they're kind of reflecting what some kids go through in real life when they lose a parent or, you know, when a parent um, runs out on them or, you know, whatever, it's like the kid thinks sometimes that it must be their fault. Like I did something to make them leave me. And so I love that they also have that layer of uncle Ben's voicemail saying, you know, they finally play the whole thing at the end and he says, you're my hero and I love you. And so it just really brings it all back together of like someone even posthumously saying, it's not your fault. Unfortunately, bad things Mm -hmm. happen and it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, what you're saying is really good because, you know, in in that whole section of him, you know, especially Peter dealing with loss and that, of course, we see, you know, uh, Gwen Stacy having to deal with loss and, you know, again, even Mm -hmm. Dr. Connor's having to deal with loss and the way that we react to that and then what we do to try and get those things back or to fix ourselves or to make ourselves feel better or whatever. I think that's all really good and it, and it is um, a great thematic part of the movie and it does tie right in with the theme that's so classic for Spider-Man, which is responsibility. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think... One of the things about this movie is that the responsibility aspect is so much more complicated than just, you know, Peter having some responsibility because he fails to act with Uncle Ben's death. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this responsibility goes all the way to the fact that by giving Dr. Connor the algorithm, he ends up putting people in the city in danger. He is in tangentially responsible for Captain Stacy ending up dying, um, you know, and so I really feel like this whole idea of responsibility is is much deeper than we've ever seen in Spider-Man before because the nuance of what it means to be responsible for one's actions, we're actually seeing lots of different consequences for the different actions that Peter takes, good and bad, mm-hmm. in this film. And I think, you know, and in fact, even, you know, uh, Captain Stacy challenges him at the dinner table saying, you know, Spider-Man seems to really only be after one type of criminal. He's, he's, he's on a vendetta. He's not a hero, you know? And so we actually see Peter have to kind of come to grips with himself. Like, why is he putting on the mask? Why is he doing this? Is he doing it to be a hero or is he just doing it for vengeance? And exactly. So I think this movie is, you know, if we're just kind of comparing the original Spider-Man series to this one, I think this is a much better version of responsibility and how that plays out because responsibility is so much more nuanced because our actions can have a lot of unintended consequences as well. And this movie is full of unintended consequences. Right. Like, it's not like he went out trying to cause something, but the choices you make do end up leading to other things that you may not have planned for exactly. And so, you know, case in point with um, the formula, I like that then he finally comes back to talking about it with Gwen and he says, I made him. I didn't realize I was doing that when I shared the formula with him, but now I know why it was such a secret. And, you know, and then uh, the whole thing with Uncle Ben, too, it's like he thought that he was, he didn't think he was doing the right thing, but in the moment, he didn't care. And that really brings to light again later the thing that Ben was just telling him, which is that his father 
felt like if you're witnessing something and you could make something better, that you have a responsibility to do that. You know, sort of that, if not you, who, if not now, when. Right. Yeah. And so he learns that. Uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I I think it is really interesting because this movie does kind of create a web of responsibility. And mm-hmm. Peter weaves that web himself. And his actions <laughs> have these consequences that he either intends or doesn't intend. And yet you do have to take responsibility for the actions that you took. And right. we see him learn to live up to that, which I thought was great. And again, it's more complicated in this series. And I think that's a better reflection of what life is truly like, which is that things are more complicated than just kind of a simple, you know, if and, you know, or, you know, just one action leads Mm -hmm. to this. Like, there's so many other ripples effects, you know, you it's that butterfly effect thing, you know, like you don't necessarily yeah. understand what's going to happen. So, I, again, I think it's really beautiful in that way. Uh, something else that I, I saw in this, Christy, and I, I felt like um, Captain Stacy is actually kind of way ahead of his time because the argument that he and Peter are having um, are about, uh, I, and I thought was really important, was they have this argument about that Peter says, well, I saw a video on the internet. And mm-hmm. Captain Stacy's like, oh, you saw a video on the internet. You just know everything now. Which, okay, Peter obviously understands the reality of what's happening better than even Captain Stacy because he's there because he's Spider-Man, right? Um, right. But I think that this movie actually is way ahead of its time in the sense that how many of us think we know the truth because we saw a clip on the internet. Yeah. Right? We think we know the truth from a clip of 15 seconds when whatever event probably took place over minutes or hours. I mean, it's it's like, it would be like, I know the truth of Amazing Spider-Man. And this movie is two hours and 12 minutes. I saw five seconds of it. Or, you know, I mean, it's kind of the same thing of like, well, I looked it up on WebMD and it said blah, blah, <laughs> you know, and, and taking things for truth when you can't even be sure to trust the source. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that you're absolutely hitting something on the, the head with that because it it does prove the captain's point of you can't just find whatever online and take it for being a hundred percent true and that like you said that you know everything and you feel kind of bad for peter in that stance because you're like well he's making up a reason of why he knows by mm-hmm. saying i watched a video on the internet as a cop-out right but then it kind of bites him <laughs> well uh, and in that too um what i think is beautiful as we kind of mentioned earlier is like you know Captain Stacy has a better understanding of Peter's motivations than Peter does at that point, right? Even. Oh, yeah. You know, because he challenges it by saying that Spider-Man only seems to be going after one type of criminal. And it seems more well, like and even saying, And even saying that he's only going for the quick fix and not realizing that the cops had a strategy right. that was long-term that Spider-Man didn't know about. So, yeah, again, another unintended consequence. And so, you know, I just thought that that was really uh, something, again, kind of ahead of its time in the sense that he rightly points out, you know, we can't just watch a clip on on the Internet and think we know the truth of a situation, Um, you know, and yes, context matters. Understanding matters. um, All of that matters. And um, even even. just a, I think, a better understanding of the world, which in the end, Captain Stacy has a better understanding of the world. Why? Because he's lived longer. He's experienced more. Exactly. You know, he's learned from his experience. You know, Peter is still a high school kid. And I think that also speaks to something really important that I saw in this, which was I really appreciated in the end that 
the way that they handled um, Captain Stacy as a character and the fact that he's not the villain in this story. Um, and I think that he is somebody who helps end up making Peter a better version of Spider-Man because of his existence rather than just being a foil for Spider-Man's existence. And I was really thankful that they just don't go the easy route of making him be the adult who doesn't understand, you know, and, and is just kind of like a law and order guy and doesn't get it, you know. Um, I thought that was really smart. Yeah, he's also a kind of father influence on Peter. And I mean, even leads to in the end where Gwen, it's like she just knows because she knows her father so well. She says, he made you promise to stay away from me to keep me safe, didn't he? And so it really does show so much more complexity to him and that they're trying to show, like you said, he's not a bad guy. He's not the villain here. He's still a dad who's worried about his kids and who Gwen mm -hmm. even says, you know, she's been worried every day her whole life whether or not he was going to come home. Right. And then having that argument between the two of, you know, him and Peter, it shows, A, that he's lived longer and mm -hmm. also has been a policeman his whole career and knows a lot more than Peter because of that. But then also that juxtaposition of Peter is that classic guy in high school who thinks that they're indestructible and they know everything and they're going to mouth off to everybody right. because they know everything. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I like that they knock him down a peg. <laughs> a absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I, I think that, you know, kind of what we see here is that, you know, also Peter does kind of have to learn about who to trust and who not to trust. And, you know, of course, you know, he kind of gets wrapped in with with Dr. Connors thinking that, you know, my dad knew him and he's really smart and all these things, you know, um, and uh, kind of in some ways, I think disregarding Uncle Ben a little bit and his advice, you know, because, well, he can't really truly understand. And then, of course, you know, with with Captain Stacy, you know, kind of pushing him aside a little bit as well. So all of these characters, like you said, kind of have this fatherly type influence on him. And I, you know, they, they go to show that, you know, strong, good male influences on men that are growing up help them make them men, right? Instead of boys, you know? And yeah. part of this whole story is about Peter going from being a boy to a man, really. Um, and, and, and learning what that means, again, with the responsibility, which is such a big part of, you know, the, the whole storyline. It has been from the very beginning since Stan Lee created Spider-Man, which is about teaching a growing person what it means to be a responsible adult in the end. Um, as hard mm -hmm. and difficult as that is. So um, I think, you know, it's it may be a good time then to kind of talk about our new web slinger in Andrew Garfield playing uh, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. Um, and how do, how do you feel like he does? He has a special place in my heart because of this movie, because it's such a contrast to what you see in Tobey Maguire's version. Um, and every iteration of Spider-Man in live action brings something valuable to the table, I think. Um, but everyone has their favorite for a reason. And I, Andrew Garfield becomes my favorite because he plays it so much more complex. I think he shows that Peter has this playful side to him. You know, they do have that scene where he's messing with the guy that's trying to steal a car. Um, but then also that he's a really emotionally scarred person, um, that he had to grow up really fast, um, that he blames everything on himself. I mean, he, you can tell the way that Andrew plays the character in this movie. A lot of times it looks like he literally hunches because he's got the weight on his shoulders all the time and never talks to anyone about it. Um, and so I, I just, I feel like you really see all of that in the way that Andrew Garfield plays this version. And then I think it's really sweet seeing the way that he interacts with Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy and that softness that he really hadn't been around in a long time. I think that, you know, he spends a lot of time away from home after his parents leave and doesn't really attach himself much to Aunt May as like a mother. 
So I like that Gwen kind of brings that softness out of him. Yeah, it is really interesting. And and I'm actually right with you in the sense that I he's my favorite Spider-Man. Um, I, I think he does a yeah. fantastic job as the character. And, and part of what you were talking about is the fact that he has such nuance in his portrayal of the character. So you believe that he's really smart. You believe that he's kind of a smart aleck, um, especially when he's in the suit. Nobody can see him and he's an anonymous, right? Where he can just be mouthy. Mm-hmm. Um, like that whole side of him, like, you know, you get the feeling like he wants to mouth off the people, but he doesn't. Um and then, and he's kind of learned the hard way not necessarily to do that. Like you see when he gets the crap beat out of him by Flash. Um, and yet, mm-hmm. you know, you, a scene like that kind of shows that he has his heart in the right place. You know, he wants to take care of those who can't take care of themselves, um, you know. And so I think all of these things are really well done and portrayed by the character. And again, I think he just plays this emotional turmoil. I mean, he, he kind of has this volcano of emotion inside and the fact that he doesn't always do the right thing or handle things well is good you know and 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 it and it comes out well in him you know um Mm -hmm. I, i think of again that that scene where he's then able to taunt flash right and you know uncle ben um kind of calls him out for it um for you know just because somebody was a jerk to you doesn't give you the right to be a jerk back, you know, um, just because right. somebody hit you doesn't mean you should hit them back necessarily, you know, like this whole idea of two wrongs don't make a right. And again, Peter mm-hmm. kind of learning about that responsibility. And I think Andrew Garfield is just so good. In fact, I mean, the scene where uh, and this is one of the things I really love about this movie is that they do such a good job with him getting his powers in the sense that like. All of a sudden, all the little normal things he does, he's super powered and he doesn't know it. So, like, when he goes to, like, pull something off the, you know, the wall, he ends up ripping it off the wall or, you know, because all of a sudden Mm -hmm. his body is working at a rate that he doesn't understand yet, you know? And so, to me, even just that, the way he does all that is fantastic. Um, When he's celebrating creating the web for the first time and it works and he's just, like, you know he's like yeah you know so like he has such great mannerisms and um every every part of his performance i love you know like i I love his his anger his frustration his emotion his sadness his i mean his excitedness um the scenes with you know uh emma stone are out of this world they have great chemistry uh and i think he looks fantastic in the suit too um you know, I think mm-hmm. it fits to kind of have this tall, lanky guy, right? Um, yeah. And it, it just feels right. So, I mean, to me, I, I'm right there with you. Andrew Garfield is my my favorite, you know, live action Spider-Man character portrayal. And now we jump up and down and scream and both say, yay, he's my favorite too. <laughs> And I think that works. One, I, I love that it's not Mary Jane. Um, I love that they go yeah. with Gwen Stacy. Uh, and I love that it's Emma Stone because I love Emma Stone so much. It's ridiculous. Um, and I think she just portrays this role perfectly. Um, and and what I also love is that they create a character who has the intellectual scientific brain to match peter's right like she's she's his equal in that way um and i think that really helps the portrayal of the character um and it helps the portrayal in the story because she's never really that damsel in the stress much she's usually just trying to help peter and you know obviously her brain comes in real handy um when he needs it and when the you know the entire city of new york needs it too mm-hmm. well and, and to throw in too another thing from the comics um i actually didn't know that this till i was doing some more reading on it but um stan lee created gwen stacy after his wife so it's kind of funny in that way that you know you're mentioning how she's his equal and um you know, never a damsel in distress because that's what Stan thought of his wife. And, and that's why he created Gwen Stacy. And, um, you know, it's, 
definitely a totally different kind of girl than Mary Jane. But Gwen Stacy is his first love in the comics and here. And, you know, I'm glad they honored that in this movie. Um, It just really shows what he goes through on his way to growing up. Um, And then, of course, you know, in the the next one, they show the most iconic thing to me anyway in the comics, which is the death of Gwen Stacy. Um, But, you know, we'll get to that later. Yeah, I I think one of the things that I I really appreciate is that I I just like her better as a character, especially here as portrayed. Um, I think Emma Stone does such a great job. One, Emma Stone's just so likable in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Emma Stone. So, uh, and if you don't... Well, and she usually... Yeah. Right. Well, she usually did so much comedy. I think mm-hmm. that's why it's so cool to see her do such a dramatic role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that she does just... She does a really great job of, of portraying a teenage girl like I one of my favorite scenes is that one where he's trying to ask her out and they basically just go huh um maybe yeah uh what about you know I don't know you could maybe we could you know like it's so classic high school you know I work with high schoolers all the time Mm -hmm. still um and that's how many of them are together uh it's just super awkward and they don't you know, uh, especially when they really like each other uh, and they're kind of in that phase. And so they do that so well together. But I mean, they just legitimately have really good chemistry. Uh, in fact, they were even mm-hmm. together, I think, for a while after filming this, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because of this movie, they end up dating yeah. and then being on SNL together. <laughs> so, um, but I, again, I think what I love about this is that she's a good character in and of herself and i think they do a great job of creating a character and i and i've got to say too i even like that she's a she's a person who's like respectful of her parents right like Mm -hmm. you know she loves her dad she loves her mom she loves her family you know and um you know that type of thing is it seen like her against her parents type of thing really um you know uh just uh, the whole thing, I think, just really works with them. And I'm just, I am glad that, you know, they didn't just kind of repeat what they had done in the first movies and just give us another Mary Jane right off the bat. Yeah, I, absolutely. And having a different person cast in the role um, obviously brings a lot of new things to the table. Um, but then, yeah, having it be this other character that's just known for being a good person. Um, and then too, you know, by contrast, having such a different home life to Peter, I think really kind of makes him feel like he has a family again. You know, because he's sitting down to this nice dinner, they keep talking about the Branzino and he's like, sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's just really sweet. Yeah. No. And that is something that obviously that they do change for this movie, too. Which is, in some ways, they they kind of go a, against type for what we've seen in a lot of the comics, and you know, uh, obviously in the first movie uh, series that they did, which is they have younger versions of Uncle Ben and Aunt May. You know, um, we've got Sally mm-hmm. Field and Martin Sheen. In fact, well, of course, we'll go even younger for Aunt May once we get to the. MCU version where she's, you know, and that's a whole other story. But so that <laughs> part I thought was really interesting as well because and in the end it makes more sense for his aunt and uncle to not be like in their 60s or 70s, you know, to be more in the range of maybe the 40s or, you know, late 40s, yeah. early 50s. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it adds a little bit more vitality and enjoyment. And to me in some ways it, almost makes it sadder too when you know martin sheen's ben is killed because he has so much more life left you know um there's there's Mm -hmm. something even more tragic about him being cut down when he's still such a, a a vital guy um and 
just again being somebody who's trying to do the right thing. I think him and Sally Field, you know, do such a really good job and they add a lot of of great heart to the role. Um and I I I liked the casting there. I thought it was really smart and again, it's something that's different. Um but I think it's different in a good way. Like I think they probably thought about it and and it just it really worked for this version of the story. Yeah, the casting for um Uncle Ben and Aunt May, I think exactly was perfect i really i feel like who they are anyway just as actors you automatically feel comfortable with sally field and martin sheen um they kind of have that parent vibe to them anyway um and sally field i mean she's just so good you know if you ever saw steel magnolias she's really great with a dramatic role like this of showing the concern on her face without having to say anything but you can tell exactly what she's feeling or, you know, the scene where she finally hugs Peter. It's like he just had been holding things in for so long and then her hugging him. He just really finally let go and opened up to her like he couldn't ever do with his Uncle Ben, even though he loved his Uncle Ben and wanted to open up to him, too. He just never actually did. And so I think that it's it's also really a sweet thing seeing that that youngness out of the two of them, I think too makes him a little closer to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that it's, it's even more sad than when uncle Ben gets cut down and that it seems like even more so Peter is just trying to blow off steam and doesn't intend for anything bad to happen. Has no idea it's even coming. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, kind of him taking out his frustration on somebody else in that way um, is is a part of, like, being an adult and, and learning how to deal with the frustrations of life without um, being vindictive of people who have nothing to do with your issue, you know, like... Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and and so, I, yeah, I think that all really works. And I think you're right, you know, they... They cast people that immediately you feel comfortable with on screen. And so Mm -hmm. it helps for you feel like Peter has a very loving, caring family to be a part of. And yet they are in a way, you know, when I love, you know, when Uncle Ben tells him, you know, I look, I, I know I'm not your dad and I'm not as smart as your dad. And I'm never going to be that person and therefore you kind of miss that that you could have had and i'm sorry for that you know um so they do a great job of kind of portraying that kind of i would say in many ways for peter that's like that more blue collar um down home um lovable type people who can't give peter everything that he needs but they give him the most important thing that he needs and I think that's what makes it really beautiful. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, they're really good. What did so? I was really interested because I was remembering that this is a movie that was filmed digitally. It's also filmed in 3D. It was meant to be seen in 3D. Um, and there's even some action sequences. You can really tell that they were, you know, wanting you to be a part of. So, what did you see? Uh, and and how did you feel about the action in the movie? Um, especially as, you know, this is the first um, time to have this Spider-Man on screen, you know, with him web-slinging and his, his fight scenes and everything. I think it was okay. It's definitely not the best I've ever seen. Um, and I think that was really the most apparent in the bridge scene with the cars hanging over the edge. Um but overall, I mean, I, I think that the scenes with him web-slinging around the city are pretty good. Um, I was actually surprised at how good the lizard still looks. Um, but, you know, some of their fights in the school were a little bit eh, um, with the, you know, effects and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those were my two biggest beefs with it. It was, you know, the bridge scene and the school scenes. Um but overall, I mean, it. I think it's pretty good. And I actually think that the end scene on the tower is pretty good, too. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting because I th- this is a movie that I think is trying to push the action and put us in new positions, you know, specifically on purpose, you know, like uh, the fact that we kind of almost have that GoPro type of video with him slinging, mm-hmm. you know, and so especially in 3D that's meant to try and put you in that position so you feel like you're Spider-Man. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they actually worked with some physicists I was reading um, about what the web slinging should look like, you know, trying to get that right with like the momentum of going down and then coming up, you know, and then like, so trying to make that look as realistic as possible as they possibly can. Um, I, I think one of the things they do really well too, is that, you know, the way they show Spider-Man kind of traditionally swinging from, doesn't necessarily always really make sense. So this movie, they I think they worked really hard to try and make that look more realistic, you know? Like, um, and so mm-hmm. I thought that was really good. And whereas I think you're right in the sense that the CGI doesn't necessarily completely hold up. I thought the bridge scene was still really good in the sense that, like, the action that Peter has having to take, you know? Um, shows how quickly mm-hmm. he can think and everything. I loved him saving the kid, you know, in the car. I think that's a great scene. Yeah. Um, and my favorite cameo of Stan Lee in any Marvel film ever is this one in the library. Really? Yes. It's the best. <laughs> I think it's just so funny. Um, you know, them having this massive battle behind him and he's got the headphones on, you know, the noise canceling headphones. He didn't hear anything. Um, and mm-hmm. so I just think that's hysterical. Um, and I think it's always kind of fun to see, you know, especially with high school movies or whatever, the school kind of get torn up, you know? So, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I thought for the most part, even though, you know, the movie's older and, and of course the CGI isn't going to necessarily hold up as well as to today's, I thought the action for the most part still held up. Um, mm-hmm. and I still really enjoyed the action. I wasn't, especially, I love the scene when he's, he wakes up in the subway and he's got his powers and he doesn't realize it yet, you know? And he's like, he pulls the bar off, you know, and he rips that girl's shirt off on accident. And like, he beats that <laughs> right. guy up, yeah. not on purpose, but because he keeps like the pole stuck to him and everything, like all of that stuff is, was, mm-hmm. was really fun. Um, and yeah, there was just, a, they did, I, I liked the, the movement of him as well. Um, I thought they did a good job with just kind of creating those very acrobatic, almost gymnast like movements. So, you know, all of that really works uh, too. So, well, and I'm glad too, you mentioned, you know, how they were working with the physicists in particular for the web slinging portion, because I think when they also added in that the father of the kid he saved mm-hmm. calls all of his friends yeah, yeah. in public service to get the cranes yeah. out, that makes it kind of have a real world application more of how yeah. he would yeah. get there, even yeah. though he's injured. Yep. It was really good. Well, and, and like, that's kind of part of the movie, isn't it? Like it was, we were talking about earlier, there's unintended consequences, you know, his unintended consequence of helping save those people on that bridge, help save him later on. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this wonderful reciprocal relationship. And I think there's that real beauty in that, in the sense that the action uh, helps show, as we always say, don't show, don't tell. This movie is showing us uh, its its thematic elements, which is that it may be if we were all really trying to help each other instead of take advantage of each other, it would be better, right? And yeah. I think that's really good. Also, I got to say, in the action too, I'm so glad that in this movie, I think that by them having Peter be the one who takes the tensile string uh, from Oscorp and then perfects it for web slinging, creating his own web shooters is awesome Um, because that's one of the things that, you know, by the other films, Peter can never lose that ability. Uh, And, and 
that's a big part of the Spider-Man comics, I know. I've never read them, but I've heard from many fans who've read them. One of the big things is the fact that Peter doesn't have unlimited webs, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so creating that, I think, here also helps show us who Peter is as a character, which is somebody who's brilliant, right? Peter is is a smart scientifically mind kid and so for him to be able to do that i think it does wonder so i think that works well for the action too absolutely yeah and and i like that it's like you know he's watching videos talking about oscorp's tensile strength to then inform how he's working on it and having that trust that it's going to hold his weight well and I think Peter being so smart and scientifically minded also helps make it more realistic that he creates his suit. You know, like when yeah. he's like spandex, 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 everything is spandex, you know, trying to but figure out. But I love out, it yeah. starts. Yeah. I love that it starts with a Mexican wrestling mask. Yeah, exactly. Which is a classic, <laughs> you know, uh, Spider-Man reference as well. So, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think all of that really works. And 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 the action in this movie, to me, in the in, on a whole, just really holds up. So, um, mm-hmm. so James Horner does the score here, uh, famous for scores like Star Trek. Two, Star Trek Three, Braveheart, I mean Titanic. Uh, you know, he's he's got some of the biggest scores that have ever been done. Um, what did you think of of his music here for Amazing Spider Man? I thought it was good. Uh, you know, I mean I, we've always said I'm not one to sit and listen to a score in my free time, but I think that they really have some great cues, especially for the feel of Spider-Man that we're going for in this movie. Um, And especially in the scenes of Peter losing Uncle Ben or, um, you know, Captain Stacy dying, there's a lot of weight Mm -hmm. there um, with the score as well. So I think that it's, it's good. How did you feel about it? You know, it's interesting because this is one of those things where, um, for me, I was actually, I was really impressed with this score, especially when it came out. And and part of that was that we didn't, we didn't have a lot of soundtracks at that point for these characters that were... Um, superhero characters that were really doing a great job with themes. We weren't getting great mm-hmm. themes for superhero characters, which is super annoying to me. You know how I feel about that. And so um, yeah. to get that finally, I was really thankful for. Um, and, you know, we really, we create a theme for Spider-Man. And there were some great melodic me- uh, elements, especially like you talked about specifically that that web slinging, you know, through the city uh, and the cranes coming out and all that. Really beautiful work, I think, and a good job, like a really good job to me of 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 creating um, emotional thematic music that you enjoy listening to, um, and that mm-hmm. creating a theme that you're hoping then becomes synonymous with the character and just creating a theme in general. Like uh, to me, the best superhero soundtracks, you have to have a theme to recognize that character with. Um, and oh, yeah. again, this was just, uh, you know, it, it had been so long at this point. So it really felt like there was a theme that felt like strong enough. And I liked this. So, um, yeah, I, I did. I, I thought it was really good. And so it, it stood out to me. I remember even in the theater it standing out to me because again we had been we had been getting like I mean the X Men soundtracks were fine, um, you know, but we had just been getting a lot of superhero movies that weren't basically following the mold of like either, you know, Batman eighty nine or Superman. Where, mm-hmm. you know, you want something to recognize that character. And so yeah, I was glad that I think James Porter did a pretty good job in that. So, um, well, I, I guess uh, that kind of leads us to this point. Um, now that you know we've talked through the movie and everything, I am really wondering uh, where you then end up in the ratings for the Amazing Spider-Man. 
So I, there are a couple of things I might have done differently. So it's not a perfect film to me. But like you and I both said, it, this is our favorite Spider-Man. Um, and I love that it's Gwen Stacy and not back to Mary Jane again, because it's something different. And I mean, she was a big part of the comics. Um, so I ultimately give it a four out of five um, cranes. Because I mentioned that earlier, I have to add that in now. Um, because it really has a lot of incredible things to it. And I loved rewatching it again. And I'll definitely be rewatching it a million more times. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't say like, oh, it's just a fun time, but it's a really rewarding movie. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, rewatching this was really interesting because it had been a while since I had seen it. And I was struck by how emotional the film is. Um, how uh, well the emotion came across to me um, with the character. And I have to say, to me, uh, it went up a half a star. So it had been at three and a half stars for me and it went up to four actually. Um, I think this is a really good superhero movie. I think not only is it a good superhero movie, but I think it's a great start to a series. I think it creates very interesting questions. It answers a few of them and then it leaves more for the sequel. Uh, And I think that's Mm -hmm. a, a, that's well done too. And so, um, very, I mean, I'm really glad that we went ahead and rewatched this. And um, I'm very interested because, you know, I, I know the second movie gets maligned by some people and I haven't seen it in a super long time. And so I don't remember exactly how I feel about it. And I can't wait to kind of go back and and, and see how that does. And And I can say this. Well, no, I'll save that for next time. So you'll have to come back when we do uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is going to be happening in a couple weeks. So, uh, Christy, I guess it's time then, if I'm going to tease everybody that way, for us to give our recommendations. Yeah, so I actually, this is something, you know, I've been on this path of documentaries and things, but I also, on occasion, like uh, a self-help book or movie, um, And somebody that I came across by accident that I've really been inspired by and has helped me kind of get things in my life in order better is Mel Robbins, who used to have a show on TV and then now um, no longer does, but has a book and does a lot of things on um, social media. She has a book called The Five Second Rule which is not about dropping food on the floor, actually. Um, but it basically a tool to help people that have trouble getting motivated, uh, motivated um, to c- overcome that. So that it basically you are telling yourself, I'm going to count from five down to one. And then at that point, I have to move. So, you know, just if you have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, you say, okay, I'm going to tell myself five, four, three, two, one, go. And then when I say go, I have to get out of bed and do something. So it's just kind of the it, it's things that you don't usually consciously think about that she's helping you overcome. Nice. Um, just like you're more likely to work out if you're working from home, if you put on yoga pants or gym shorts than if you put on your jeans. So anyway, I I highly recommend checking out Mel Robbins and her book, The Five Second Rule. Very cool. Uh, Well, you can um, check out uh, what I'm going to recommend. And uh, so as we're recording this uh, a day ago, uh, it was 77 years since D-Day. And I'm going to recommend this week that you go back and you watch the incredible film Saving Private Ryan. Um, I think it's something that should be uh, returned to often, um, that we remember uh, the sacrifice that these men made, um, these men and women, uh, that, you know, when you think about what families lost, uh, I think it's very, very important for us to really um, be cognizant enough 
of that and never forget it. So I highly encourage you go back and uh, you watch Save in Private Ryan when you have a moment. So, uh, Christy, um, you know, if people would like to maybe catch up with you and see what else, though, you've got going on, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And when I'm not on 602 Club, I also do a show called Sabers and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa. And we talk about geek topics that we don't usually get to talk about. So I hope that you'll check that out. We're uh, on all your social media channels at Sabers and Spells as well. Awesome. Uh, and of course, uh, you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 Definitely hope uh, you'll check me out there. Uh, of course, you can find me here in the network with the 602 Club. Look for Snyder Cuts as well, where John Mills and I have talked through every single movie that Zack Snyder has directed. Uh, you can also find me doing literary treks in the Orb as we talk about on uh, literary treks, the books and the comics of Star Trek. And on the Orb, we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, and then over on the Nerd Party Network, I have two shows there. One is Aggressive Negotiations with the aforementioned John Mills, where we are talking about Star Wars each and every week, which we just have an absolute blast doing that. So I hope you'll check that out. Uh, and then, of course, not only talking Star Wars, but I did a Harry Potter show there that is finished now, but you can listen to every single episode of Drea Kaufman and I on Owlpost talking about the Harry Potter series. And we do that one chapter at a time, and it was a total blast. So I hope that you will check that out. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? hear.